God, we thank you for this great morning that we have gathered in this place all together to worship you, to worship your great name. God, I pray that as we have been singing songs of worth to you, you are the only one worthy. And God, this morning, I pray that as we continue in worship, that you would teach us, that you would show us from your word, Lord, maybe just areas of our life that we need to take a closer look at as we strive to be a follower of yours and become more like Jesus. In your great name, we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Proverbs 22? Proverbs 22. We're beginning a new series this morning called Catch 22. Thanks for being here uh, in worship this morning. Those who are joining online and Kindred is at six o'clock tonight. We're excited about that. So we have different options, and, but we're just glad that we can uh, be worshiping together. What a great day to gather uh, for King Jesus. You know, I uh, was thinking about kids in the service because we do this every once in a while. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We've got ushers. They'd love to get one in your hands. Um, you can borrow this morning, Proverbs 22. Thinking about kids in the service, and if you receive the e-news, I wrote a little blurb uh, in the beginning of the e-news to let you know, hey, kids are okay in the service. And God put the wiggle in your kids, right? And we, we have a lot of grace for each other. We love kids. We love kids being in here, worshiping with us. And, um, but feel the freedom. Hey, if, if you've got a child that's making a lot of noise, you're like, oh, start, maybe it's starting to bother other people. It's okay to slip out, and then it's okay to slip back in. So just, just feel that freedom and that grace, and we're just glad to be together. Last week, uh, we finished up a series called BLESS. And maybe you remember the acronym, or maybe you remember what it stands for, but it, it stands for uh, beginning with prayer, and that is to identify a person in our life maybe that, um, that is lost, that doesn't know Jesus. Can I encourage you to do that right now, because I'm gonna have you do something here in just a second. Just think of somebody, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, you know they don't know Jesus, and you, you just have this longing and this desire for them to know Christ. So just get, get that person in mind. And then we talked about listening, learning to listen to people. What, what are they telling us? Um, just as we're in conversation with them. We talked about eating with them. In other words, it's okay to hang out with sinners. Jesus did it. Um, and then we talked about how do we serve them to bridge this relationship. And then last week, Pastor Craig talked about how do we share our story? How do we share Christ with them? I'm gonna talk about a couple of different books this morning. This one's called Pray and Watch. And it's by Neil and Judy Brower. So I'm just gonna, again, I'm just gonna give pictures of it. So if you ever wanna go back uh, and look, and, and if you're interested, um, you, can, you can read that. They talk about um, the five-second prayer, and it's all about lost people. And I wanna read it to you, because then what I wanna do is literally do this where you're at in your seats, and you can fill in the blank of who it is. And so their challenge and their encouragement is, is just continually to pray this five-second prayer for people that you know in your life that are lost, and that you have this longing that they know Jesus. And this is the, this is the prayer they use. They base it on the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Father, Please send your Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of these people. Draw them to Jesus and make them kingdom laborers. So do you see the, the ripple effect there? It isn't just that they would know Christ, but then that they also then would, uh, would lead people to Christ. So it's this ripple effect. So here's the prayer. We're gonna take five seconds and just do this. If you have that lost person in mind, it's this idea of Father, please send your Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of blank, 
Who is that? Who's the blank for you? So in, in the analogy here, they use Marvin. Father, please send your Holy Spirit to work in the heart of Marvin. Draw him to Jesus and make him a kingdom laborer. Let's take five seconds even and just, just pray for that person that the Lord has brought to your mind. Amen. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, share. If you missed any of that series, um, in any series, you, you know you can always go back on our website, you can go back on Facebook and YouTube and catch up, or if you just missed one of them. Um, it's our longing here at Bethel. It's our heart's desire to reach lost people. No person left behind. Today we're starting the summer series called Catch 22, and it's based on Proverbs 22, one through 16. And in this series, we'll look at uh, proverbial sayings that will challenge us in three ways, really, in our attitude, in our behavior, and in our pursuit of Christ. Catch 22 is a paradox, it's a dilemma. Um, I would love to have this job, but I need the experience to get this job. But to have experience to get the job, I gotta have a job. You know, it's that catch 22 where you can't hardly get yourself out of it. In the first 16 verses of Proverbs 22, we're presented with a dilemma. And the only difference here is that there's a way out and the scripture shows us the way out. Let me begin by reading Proverbs 22, one through 16, so you can get a taste as to where we're heading this summer with God's word. Proverbs 22, see if you can catch some of them. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Here's another one, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who would preserve their life stay far from them. Start children off on the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to this lender. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they will wield in fury will be broken. The generous will be themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Drive out the mocker, and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he frustrates the words of the unfaithful. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. The mouth of an adulterous woman is a deep pit. A man who is under the Lord's wrath falls into it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. One who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich. Both come to poverty. There's just some incredible truths in Proverbs 22 that we're gonna unpack over uh, the summer months. But back to verse number one. Verse one is in two parts called a parallel proverb. Two parts communicating the same truth and really in two different ways. Sometimes when I teach, or you'll hear other people when they teach, will say something 
And then I'll follow it up by saying, oh, in other words, so to kind of say it a different way to explain it even further, to drive home the same point. In the first part, there are four primary words. So if you were to take out a pen or a pencil and, and you look at uh, verse number one, there's four primary words or phrases in the first part of the verse and four in the second part of the verse. In the first part, name, more desirable, great, and riches are the four key words and phrases. In the second part of the verse, esteemed, better, silver, and gold. So with that in mind, let's think about what this is saying. So number one, if you follow on the outline and you like to fill in the blanks, a good name is greater than riches. First part of verse one, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Most of us in this room have probably, maybe at one time or another, um, daydreamed about either winning the lottery, I'm not condoning the lottery, but just as an example, winning the lottery or inheriting millions of people from a relative uh, that passes away. And you're like, oh man, I, if I just had all of this money, for my kids, it's more of a nightmare. And not a daydream, it's a nightmare because when, when Lori and I die, it, it's not going to be a windfall. It's gonna be a slight breeze, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> we, we, we think about all the ways that we could spend this money if we, had, if we could have just experienced this, this incredible windfall. Maybe you'd buy season tickets to the Chicago Bears. Maybe, maybe you'd buy the entire Minnesota Vikings franchise for the same price. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you would buy a vacation home. Maybe you would go on uh, luxurious vacations. When I think of money, I think of Dubai. Have you ever researched Dubai? This is an, uh, a country that builds their own islands. Um, we have great friends in Dubai, and they're kind of missionaries incognito. And they've explained to us that the culture in Dubai is that um, all these incredibly rich people gather at the mall every single day because they don't work. These are locals that receive money because people move in and they start businesses, right? So they gather at the mall every single day and they just talk about all the money they have and how they can spend all of this money. And, and uh, they've explained to us how the, some of these people have yachts and they go on month-long vacations on a yacht and they spend millions, literally millions and millions of dollars. Some of them fly around in these, uh, these helicopters that don't have a pilot. Have you seen these? Wait till after the service to look them up. But and he said, literally, sometimes you can look up in the air and, you, and it looks like bees flying around. So literally, you can call a helicopter to your work to pick you up. There's no driver. You just get in, you punch it in where you want to go, and it goes up, and it, and it takes you where to go, and it delivers you. Of course, great riches can bring certain comforts in this life. But let's think about something else together. What if we spent a significant amount of time daydreaming about what it would be like to have a good name? What does it even mean? The two words good name is what is called an idiom or a way of saying something else. It's not to say that one person's name is better than another person's name, rather it is saying good reputation. To say that people hold you in high respect and in high regard. So as we dive into this, let me just throw a question out to you for you to ponder. What is your reputation?
A good reputation does not just happen upon you like a windfall, unexpected. A good reputation is not handed out. You can't win a good reputation. You can't buy a good reputation. A good reputation must be earned. It requires a tremendous amount of work because a good reputation does not just require certain parts of your life. It requires all of you. It's not blind to certain areas, only shining the light on the good parts of your life. It requires a consistent and, and a repetitive behavior to the point in which someone hears your name and they respond by saying, I know that person and they have a great reputation. Or it could be a case where someone is speaking bad of you and someone overhears your name being mentioned and, and they say to the people around them, there is no way that's true because I know them. What is your reputation? What's your reputation with your family? In the workplace? With kids? With your neighborhood, your friends? What about outsiders? When you have a good name or reputation, you can be disagreed with and yet still respected. You can be questioned and yet you can remain unaffected. You can, have a, you can be bad-mouthed and remain strong. You can be judged and criticized and yet not have to defend yourself. Your established reputation or character will speak for you. Reputation, interestingly, is not determined by self. You have to work at it. It's determined by others. And with that in mind, let's talk about how we build a good name or how do we build a good reputation. A good name and reputation come from two different sources. First, a good reputation is built on the truth of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul writes, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul was pointing out that for a believer, a good reputation is in direct association with the following. First, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. So it's kind of this idea of building your relationship on this truth. I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. It's to say uh, the self-righteous, self-centered Andy has been crucified and is dead in Christ and Christ lives in me. I'm indwelled with the presence of Christ. Secondly, the second part of that verse, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, so think of it for just a second about building a good reputation. Think of like building a house and, and to build a house that will stand and not collapse under the outside pressure, it must be built with a strong foundation. And in the same way, your reputation is as good as the foundation in which it's built. What is your reputation built on? Is it a family name? Is it success? Is it popularity, personality, relationships, money? In other words, what is the first thing that somebody might say about you? 
A reputation built on anything other than Christ will not survive. You might fool a few people here and there, but the reason I know this is because we are incapable on our own to handle and manage the weight of this world. None of us can endure the vice grip of life. The accusations, um, being ignored, the unfair opinions, the unfairness of life, the written and unwritten expectations, the behavior of others, you cannot do it on your own. Because when life squeezes you without Christ, all of the ugly oozes out. Am I right? And from that ugly, people determine your reputation. They form an opinion. But when we live like we have been crucified with Christ and Christ lives in us, when we are squeezed by this life, the character of Christ oozes out of us. Secondly, a good reputation is built on the way that we choose to live. Knowing Christ lives in us. What story is our attitude communicating? What story is our behavior communicating to people? Is our attitude communicating a smugness? Is our attitude communicating, I could care less? Is our attitude communicating to others that I only care about me? Is it saying to others, I don't care about your opinion? Is our attitude communicating a, I know what the Bible says, but I'm choosing the opposite? Is our behavior communicating recklessness? Is our behavior inconsistent with scripture? In some cases, believers are allowing themselves to be influenced by the secular world that surrounds us. It's a constant pressure, isn't it? It's a daily decision. And might I say that the Christian worldview is hanging on by a thread for many. 1 Peter 2.12 says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. I'm gonna share with you another book. Um, it's called Faithfully Different. Regaining a Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture by Natasha Crane. Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a, sec in a Secular Culture. I wanna share with you um, some things that she wrote, maybe five or six of them, and it's literally the second page in. But she sets up this book, and I will tell you, it may make you uncomfortable. This is what she writes. Everything has become very self-centered. You be you, instead of be who God has made you to be. You got this, instead of God is in control. Live your best life, instead of live to give glory to God. You're strong, instead of God is strong in our weakness. Next, she writes, I see Christians get mad when other Christians point out or expose false doctrines or teachers. Today it's believed that we are to accept all views, even 
of the Bible, and if we don't, we're supposedly breaking the commandment to love one another. Next, she writes, I see many Christians who feel no guilt for habitually continuing in their sin, and their lives look no different than the lives of non-believers around them. Next, she writes, I see an unhealthy and unbiblical level of mixing political views with theological views and Christian identity on both sides of the aisle. Next, she writes, I have several friends who have adopted the world's viewpoint of sexual morality. I've been shocked by how many are comfortable with couples living together outside of marriage or even believing we have to accept homosexual lifestyle under the guise of being loving. Next, she writes, I see a lot of Christians feeling like they have to choose between the Bible and science, and science is presented as being the logical, educated choice. Do you see why a biblical, Christ-centered reputation is of absolute necessity? What do you think? Two pages in. Sometimes the world is confused because we as believers sometimes live like we're confused. Some pretty serious things to ponder. We're surrounded by confusion. A biblical reputation cannot be built on confusion. We have to decide for ourselves and we have to decide for the sake of those around us, what worldview will we use to build our foundation from which our reputation is built? Our reputation ought to be built on the truth of who we are in Christ and the inspired word of God. Integrity similar to that of reputation is the difference between our ethic and our morality. Our ethic as believers, we say the standard of which we measure truth is the scripture, and we say that's our ethic, that's what, I, that's what I believe. Our morality is actually how we live out, and the difference between those two make up the difference of our integrity. The closer those two things are together, the more integrity we have. The closer those two things are together, the better reputation we have. The second point is favor is greater than silver and gold. A good reputation is what we are being instructed to pursue because when we have it, we will have high esteem, the scripture says. It's, the other word is, is favor. And esteem is greater than wealth, silver, and gold. So the two words, good name, from the first phrase, and the one word esteem from the second phrase both point to a good reputation. We have historical figures who have well-known names, but horrible reputations, like Hitler. We also have people like Abraham Lincoln who also has a well-known name, but a great reputation, many would say. A good reputation that, that didn't come easy. He, he was hated for some of his decisions, but most believe it was for the greater good. It took sacrifice, and in the case of Lincoln, he was assassinated for having done the things that he did. So as I mentioned earlier, a good reputation doesn't just happen overnight. You're not gonna wake up tomorrow and have a great reputation. You can't gain it in a year. Often it's a lifetime of consistency. 
solid decision making. Doing the right thing no matter how unpopular it is at the right time. But the truth is, we're all human, right? We're fallible. We, we all make mistakes. We all say things, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Or can I go back and redo that? We all believe like little children. We all behave like little children. And in an instant, the reputation we have worked so hard for it can be put into question in an instant, in the blink of an eye. The second part of verse one says, to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So when we talk about being esteemed or when we talk about being favored as some translations use, we need to look at how a reputation is restored or made right. And maybe this will apply to some of you right now. I think a reputation in some ways can be restored with two moves. The first involves the offender, and the second involves the offended. Not only does it take work to establish a good reputation, it takes a tremendous amount of work to maintain one. And we have to do the hard work. We have to continually admit our mistakes. We have to continually own our stuff. Seek reconciliation, all biblical. I have lived this. I can think of two times in the past maybe few years where I have received a phone call and the person on the other end of the phone, in a generic sense, maybe they were doing some work in their own life, I don't know, but they would call and they would say, hey, Pastor Andy, can I just talk to you for a second? Yeah, what's going on? I just wanna know if there's anything that I've done to offend you, and I wanna make it right. They don't have any specifics, I don't have any specifics, but it's just this, I wanna make sure that I maintain my reputation, so if there's anything, please let me know. And I've done the same. Because the truth is, both sides have reputations that are called into review. The offender's part is restoring his or her reputation and it's to own it, to confess it, to seek forgiveness, uh, to pursue restoration. But the offended reputation can also be set back if he or she doesn't practice biblical grace and forgiveness. So there's, there's two in question. All this to say, there's two, two sides of the coin. People usually don't remember the good. People usually remember the one bad thing and all it takes is one mess up for your reputation to be tarnished. For part two of verse one to be true, a reputation must be in good order. And so not only do we need to work hard to establish it, but again, we have to work incredibly hard to maintain it. As believers, we're called to be imitators of God as believers, Romans 8 teaches us that we need to walk in the Spirit. Even if we are slandered, we are to be good in the eyes of others. A reputation once broken may possibly be repaired, but the world will always keep their eyes on the spot where the crack was. George Washington. Someone says it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. 
the rest of the, the few verses here, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. The prudent pause and consider the life impact of maybe a decision or an action or behavior. How it will affect relationships, maybe your marriage, your kids, your work. They see the danger and take refuge. But this is what it says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Don't be simple. I wanna leave you with one thing. It's found in Romans 12, 17 through 19. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. How is your reputation? What would other people say about you? Is it based on Galatians 2.20? Knowing that Christ is in you? What oozes out of you? As a reminder, next week, Alex Mendez will be here speaking, and he'll be speaking on embracing the new Samaria. And he'll be um, addressing from his executive position the all people groups. I think it'll be phenomenal. And uh, again, we'll pause and kind of slow down as we go out of the foyer and grab some bagels. And he's gonna have an opportunity even after that to, to share with as many people that want to in the FLC. Father, thank you for um, the fact that Jesus Christ has an impeccable reputation from which we can build our lives. God, would you um, help us to slow down, to be prudent, to, to think, to pause. So many are watching. And in a culture, in a world that is confused, we can't live like we're confused. Use us, God, to take a stand for you, to stand for the word of God and to model for others through our attitude, our behaviors, our decisions, what it means to be a Christ follower. In Jesus' name we pray.